Welcome to the LSE Events Podcast by the London School of Economics and Political Science. Get ready to hear from some of the most influential international figures in the social sciences. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's online event hosted by the Wollstonecraft Society and the International Inequalities Institute at the LSE. My name is Alpa Alpa Shah, and I'm a professor of anthropology and a convener of the Global Economies of Care Research theme at the LSE International Inequalities Institute. I'm delighted to be chairing today's event, the second event, uh, the second annual Wollstonecraft Society Lecture. Today's uh, lecture is titled Evacuating Women Judges in Afghanistan, a Tale of International Feminist Solidarity. And in the spirit of Mary Wollstonecraft, our speakers today, Helena Kennedy, QC, and Fazia Amini, will share the extraordinary stories behind the evacuation of Afghan women judges following the fall of Kabul. This exchange will examine the hopes for women's rights internationally, set the story we all watched on the news into the framework of international justice, and consider those who are left behind. Helena Kennedy is one of Britain's most distinguished lawyers. She has spent her professional life giving voice to those who have the least power within the system, championing civil liberties and promoting human rights. She's used many public platforms, including the House of Lords, to which she was elevated in 1997 to argue for social justice. She's also written and broadcast on a wide range of issues from medical negligence to terrorism to the rights of women and children. Fawzi Amini worked as a senior judge in Afghanistan's Supreme Court, heading a court that specifically dealt with women's causes until the Taliban took control on August 15, 2021. Fawzi previously served as head of the legal department of the Ministry of Women's Affairs and worked closely with the Ministry of Justice, where she reviewed laws from a gender perspective and ensured that women's rights were protected. Today, Fawzia is one of the few women fighting for a new Afghanistan. But before we hear from Helena and Fawzia, I'm going to hand over to B. Rowlett, Chair of the Wollstonecraft Society, with whom we are jointly hosting this event to say a few words about the society and the lectures initiated in the name of Mary Wollstonecraft. B. Rowlett is a writer and public speaker and a programmer of events at the British Library, her most recent book, In Search of Mary, retraced Wollstonecraft's 1795 treasure hunt over the Skagarag Sea. Please note that we have a live captioneer and BSL interpreters at today's event. And to activate the captions, please just click on the CC button at the bottom of your screens. You can also access the larger captions by using the link that has been posted in your chat box. So if you would want to make use of the BSL interpreting, please pin the two interpreters to your screen. And you've got to basically hover, hover over each of their videos, click the three dots and select pin. Now the event is going to last for an hour and 15 minutes from six o'clock to 7.15 we will finish. As usual, there'll be a chance to, for the audience to post questions in the final half an hour or so of the event. And you can do so by either using the Q&A box at the bottom of your screens or stating your name and affiliate, uh, stating your name and affiliation where possible. Um, 
Those of you present present today may also be interested in an online LSE public event tomorrow, 6.30 to 8 p.m., around the new issue of the LSE Public Policy Review Lessons from Afghanistan, which is chaired by Baroness Shafiq and involving Dr. Michael Callon, Professor Michael Cox, Dr. Devika Hovell and Nargis Nehan. This event will discuss, amongst other things, the U.S. departure from Afghanistan, international law and development and the consequences for women's rights. So, uh, yeah, it's great to be hosting the two events next to each other on Afghanistan and women's rights, too, today um, uh, in this week. The next public event of the III is Power, Privilege and Parties, the, sh the Shaping of Modern Britain. And it's going to take place at half past six on Thursday, the 26th of May. The link to that event, along with more upcoming events, can be found on the chat. I'm now going to hand over to B to say a few words about the Wollstonecraft Society and the annual lecture before Helena and Fazia take the floor. Thank you, Alpha. Over to you. Thank you. I demand justice. These are the opening words to Mary Wollstonecraft's pioneering 1792 work, A Vindication of the Rights of Woman. And the injustice that Wollstonecraft faced was to be denied an education. She came from a background of inequality and of violence and abuse. She was a single mom and she struggled financially all her life. And yet she became a trailblazing human rights pioneer whose writing changed the world. My name's Bea Rowlatt and um, I'm from the Wollstonecraft Society. It's a human rights education charity taking Wollstonecraft's human rights legacy into young people's lives. Uh, this is our annual lecture and you're going to love it because we've got extraordinary speakers sharing a conversation that's truly inspirational. I'd like very briefly to frame that conversation in the wider context of the work of Mary Wollstonecraft and the idea of justice. Justice is an abstract, grand sounding concept but you don't have to be educated or important or even a grown-up to need it, to want it and to recognise it. Every human on this planet has this in common. We have all at some point in our lives said, that's not fair. If you're a parent, you probably hear this all the time. But what this reveals is an innate sense of, of an awareness of things not being right um, and this is something that we can track from our own immediate selfish or childish needs outwards into a, a wider sense for society. Um, I joke about our kids going, it's not fair, but there is a direct continuum from that moment in a young person's life to the life-changing work of distinguished lawmakers like Helena Kennedy and Fozia Amini. They too began by saying, that's not fair. And they went on to do something about it. And this brings us back to Mary Wollstonecraft, the inspiration for this lecture series. She was this chippy outsider, a largely self-taught philosopher, um, writer and educator. Her first book in 1787 was Thoughts on the Education of Daughters. This is especially poignant in light of the events in Afghanistan. 
Brown that we will be hearing about shortly. Um, this work was followed by her powerful incandescent vindications, both key texts of the Enlightenment. Uh, by the time of her untimely death, she had returned to the subject of young people's education and how to unfurl their minds and their sense and understanding of justice. So education was her life's work. She knew that education isn't just a human right, it is human rights in action. It is human rights made real, made tangible. And this is the work of the Wollstonecraft Society. We've just launched a brand new series of Wollstonecraft inspired classroom materials for primary schools to encourage and inspire a new generation of young people who can say that's not fair and go on to do something about it. Uh, we also collaborated on the first comic book of Wollstonecraft's Live that's been delivered to school libraries up and down the country. Uh, and the new school materials show that someone from a really challenging background can still make a difference. Um, they're also designed to generate community action, even among very young people. That sense that you can make a difference is very easily extinguished, extinguished um, if you're young and you don't think you have any power. So developing and nurturing that sense is the work of the Wollstonecraft Society. So please support what we do if you can. If there are any teachers in the audience or friends of teachers, please share the materials which are available on um, Wollstonecraft's wollstonecraftsociety.org. Um, that's all from me. Meanwhile, I'm incredibly honoured and moved to be able to step, step aside and make way for the one and only Helena Kennedy, to Fozia Amini and to your very distinguished chair, Professor Alpa Shah of the LSE's International Inequalities Institute. Alpa. Now, over to you, straight over to you, Baroness Kennedy and Fozia Amini. We are so grateful to have all of you and to our continued collaboration with you, B. Rolat. Thank you. Over to you, Baroness Kennedy. Thank you so much, um, uh, Professor Shah. Um, it's lovely to meet you, um, Alpa. And, uh, and it's wonderful to be here and be here um, basically giving the Wollstonecraft uh, lecture, although we're not giving the lecture in a traditional way. Um, uh, uh, and uh, I really am thrilled to be here with Fozia Amini. Uh, Judge Amini is, uh, is a really formidable woman. She is uh, courageous. She has been a leader. Uh, she has been a great pioneer of women's rights in Afghanistan. And, uh, and she has been through a really traumatic set of events because I want you all to imagine uh, the circumstances in which someone has to leave everything behind, uh, flee from your homeland, uh, leaving behind relatives and people you love, um, fleeing with your husband and children um, to a country that you don't know um, and putting yourself in the hands of people that you don't know. And uh, it was really a hard thing to do. And I pay tribute to uh, Fozia because not only has she done that um, for herself and for her family and her children, but she continues now to work for uh, democracy in Afghanistan and, uh, and is working for uh, a better Afghanistan in the future here um, uh, in exile in the United Kingdom. So I am I, proud to call her my sister. I have come to know her and love her and, uh, and we've become very, very close friends. Let me just start by saying a little bit about law. 
and about why it matters. And B, who's another great friend and someone I admire enormously because of the work that she's doing in the field of education. Um, she's absolutely right when she says that, you know, a fundamental human right um, is, is the right to an education. It really was a liberation for me. It's what changed my life. And, uh, and so um, if we can find ways of really um, giving the opportunity to girls and women who have been disadvantaged around the world in not having equal access to education, then of course that is one of the ways in which we change the world. Um, I'm a human rights lawyer and I've practiced at the bar for many, many decades. And I started as a young woman lawyer, really quite innocent of the ways in which women were doubly, doubly burdened um, uh, by a legal system that really so often failed women. And I say that because um, it became clear to me, the more I thought about it, that law had not been created by women. Um, historically, in all of our societies, um, uh, law has been the product of, uh, of male power. It's, you know, it was men who ran governments. It was men who ran countries. And so it was men who made the rules um, by which uh, those uh, societies uh, um, operated. And so, of course, it was made from a perspective which was male, and it's not going to be surprising if it doesn't deliver justice for women. And uh, uh, as a young lawyer going into the courts acting, um, often for women, I could see the ways in which law had enormous gaps um, when it came to uh, women, and gaps particularly where it came to um, uh, an understanding of women's lives and the particular uh, uh, circumstances that, that women are, are, are confronted with, that women so often are the primary carers of children, that women um, uh, so often um, earn very much less money than men, uh, that women are disadvantaged in so many different ways within society, and that women are, have much less power um, in, in societies everywhere. As I have developed my own practice and traveled uh, to other parts of the world and now do a, quite a, a lot of my work in international law, I see the ways in which this is not just uh, the experience of the United Kingdom. It's not just Britain that has man-made law. It's, the, it's true the world over. And it is a reflection on power. And so um, uh, women, of course, as we've uh, gained um, a bit more um, of our uh, status and rights, have demanded change. Um, but I learned about human rights really from my clients, from representing people who had suffered. And, uh, and through that, I uh, have come to understand law's feelings. Now, um, how did I come to be involved at all with Afghanistan? Well, um, I uh, have increasingly been a campaigning lawyer. I campaign for change and I campaign for change, not just in relation to women in the United Kingdom, but also in other parts of the world. I now am the director of an Institute of Human Rights for the International Bar Association. And back in uh, uh, 2000 and, uh, uh, 2008, actually, um, after the Taliban had been ousted from power, which had happened. Um, you'll remember after 9-11, there was the invasion of Afghanistan and, uh, and the Taliban were ousted from power. And in the years that followed, great change took place in uh, uh, Afghanistan. And whatever we think about that invasion, it certainly did make a difference to the lives of women um, because um, uh, uh, a new constitution was created. 
And uh, and I've had the great good fortune of meeting the, in fact, the man who was a great lawyer, um, uh, Mr. Rasuli, who uh, was the, the the drafter of that constitution. And he was a modernizing man and a man who believed in democracy. And, uh, and he... Uh, introduced into it the whole idea that there should be rights and equality for women. Um, that was in 2008. And at that time, I was the chair of uh, um, the, the, the Institute at the International Bar Association. And, uh, and we were invited um, to come into Afghanistan to help create a bar association, an independent bar association, to help professionalize um, the, 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 the legal services and legal professionals. And, uh, and we argued, as you would expect from a, a feminist lawyer like me, um, I argued very strongly that we had to ensure that um, the justice system had women in it too, that women sat as judges, that we had to make sure that there were uh, cohorts of women going into the law schools and that the doors of the law schools had to be opened to women. Um, that women had to um, uh, be um, in every part of the, if you like, the institutions of a democratic society, and they certainly had to be in the law. And so um, I started following what was happening in Afghanistan, and, uh, and we were involved in certain training programs in Afghanistan. And one of the things that happened in 2009 was that the the United Nations Convention on the Elimination of Violence Against Women um, was introduced into domestic law in Afghanistan. Um, and so that's one of the great things about international law is that there can be these conventions and nations sign up to them. And sometimes they sign up to them uh, without thinking through what the real implications are. And then they have to be sort of pushed by citizens inside the society um, and with encouragement from uh, friends uh, and, uh, um, uh, and cohorts outside to really kind of create change. And so the, the introduction, introduction of that um, uh, a convention to eliminate violence against women was a, a really radical change in Afghanistan. And it led to the creation of domestic law, which was to prevent domestic violence, forced marriages, child marriages, trafficking of women, rape of women, and, and, and physical assaults on women, um, and so on. Because women were still receiving, you know, being beaten in the streets because they didn't have their faces covered or because they were wearing clothes that um, certain fundamentalists didn't think were uh, was appropriate. And, um, and so... Um, courts were set up to deal with all of those crimes. It's also important to remember that crimes were also um, uh, being dealt with, which were about, um, which, which affected in fact, cities like our own cities here in the United Kingdom. Um, um, opium is created in Afghanistan from poppies. And so there, was, there were special narcotics courts created uh, to deal with um, uh, the, the trade in drugs because it was funding, it had funded the Taliban and was continuing to fund Taliban type organizations in Afghanistan, but also was leading to, of course, the, the presence of um, uh, heroin in many um, uh, cities around the world. Um, they, there were also courts that were just trying to deal with terrorism, and there were women judges sitting in those courts too, dealing with um, uh, um, the uh, attacks that were made on um, uh, the military who were present in the country, um, um, and some would say as an occupying force, and others would say as, uh, as peacekeepers, but um, uh, we could have that discussion another day. But what we wanted to talk about here was the fact that women were entering the legal system 
And it's really vital that in societies that we have a judiciary and a legal system that has people from very many different backgrounds. Um, because that way you're more likely to get justice um, because the experience of, 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 what, of white from wider sources will inform how justice is delivered. And, and, and there was a time here in the United Kingdom where, I mean, when I started at the bar, the only people who tried cases were men of a particularly, you know, of a very privileged class background. They were white. Um, they were uh, upper uh, class and they had very little idea, in my view, of how ordinary people lived and very little understanding of, of, of how women lived. And, uh, and often, therefore, law did not live, deliver justice, um, and particularly for women. And we're still having problems about that. We're still having problems with the delivery of justice for women uh, uh, against the predations of men, violence from men, sexual harassment, rape, um, the, the delivery of justice is still a serious problem in this country too. But what happened recently, and it was just a, a year ago, was that um, a decision was being made by uh, Western nations led by the United States of America to actually pull out of Afghanistan. They had been in Afghanistan for 20 years and they felt that the time had come and there was a lot of public pressure to uh, withdraw uh, troops from Afghanistan. Um, that would have been fine if, uh, if all had been um, on a solid base in um, Afghanistan. Um, but um, but uh, um, no country is made just in 20 years. It's a long, hard struggle. Um, and, uh, and many people were involved in trying to build um, a modern Afghanistan. And many of them were, were women who were brave and courageous, but who entered into roles in the public sphere. Last year, early in the year, uh, two Supreme Court women judges were assassinated. They were, uh, get, they were in a car on their way to the court. They had to be transported to court because even, even though um, we didn't read about it very much in our press, women judges like Fozia were, were getting threats all the time that they were on the court. It was a regular thing that they would receive uh, notes to the court and uh, threatening them of their lives and threatening their families and so on. Um, because there were men, many men in the society who did not believe that women should be holding those kinds of roles. And, uh, and here we were, two Supreme Court women um, uh, on their way to the court in a, in a, uh, in a car being, being driven. And uh, suddenly the door was opened and uh, an assassin shot one of them through the head and the other one through the heart. Um, it was a message to all women judges to say, you shouldn't be there. How dare you sit in judgment on men? How dare you be so presumptuous? This is not the role for women in our society. That was the message. And the message was to other women uh, to put fear into them. And, uh, and of course, it was the experience also of women who were members of parliament, women who were journalists, and many of the women who were brave enough to, to take part in those parts of, of life, which so often we take for granted. But uh, it, the, the courage that it took to take those roles was really incredible. 
Fozia um, will tell you about her own work and her role in, in the courts and in the system. And as you heard, she was in the justice ministry before. She was somebody who really was putting together, the, if you like, the, the, um, the structures for delivering justice for women. And then she ended up being uh, the head of the women's courts because special courts were created for women because many of the women in Afghanistan um, were, were uncomfortable about going in front of men to tell them about the things that they experienced, often of a sexual nature, but even to, to speak to men about the violence that they experienced was something that they were fearful of. And so to go in front of a court where the judge was a woman, where the prosecutor was a woman, gave them confidence to speak about the terrible uh, things that happened to them the ways in which their children would be taken from them, the ways in which they would be uh, accused of adultery for, without any evidence and often beaten and battered for, for, for accusations. And so um, uh, children would be taken away um, um, and often um, when marriages ended and a man had gone off with somebody else, he would take his children so the woman would be left without um, uh, her own children with her. So those were the cases that were coming before the courts. And, um, and of course, the, the uh, imprisonment of the men who committed these terrible crimes um, uh, brought, brought real rage um, against the women judges. When the last year, the American troops left and the British troops left, and you'll remember the, the, you saw it on your news screens, um, people were desperate to get out of Afghanistan, people who were in fear for their lives, um, and um, uh, people who worked in the British embassies, the American embassies, people who were, were um, in the military there, people who were, had worked as translators and so on for the British military, for the American military, for the military of, of Germany and, and the other NATO countries that were present there. Um, um, many of those people were, were being uh, transferred out of the country. Um, but no one made any uh, uh, significant uh, voice about um, helping the evacuation of those who would be at the highest risk. And I can tell you that um, those who were at the highest risk were, of course, the women who had been in the justice system or in parliament and who played roles, which um, these men found unacceptable. Um, as the, in the week before um, the military left and the embassies all uh, got out, um, the Taliban took over Kabul. They'd been taking over the provinces bit by bit, and then they took over Kabul. And once they had taken over Kabul, then um, uh, threats became very real. Uh, the men were um, uh, released from prison. The prisons were emptied. The doors were opened and, the, and, and prisoners um, and criminals were released from prison. And uh, many of them were men who had been convicted of violence and crimes against women and murders of women. And uh, it was the women's courts that had dealt with those men. And those men came after the women who had sent them to prison. Fozia, I will tell you about what happened, the, the threats and the fear that was inculcated in all those women. Well, I started receiving phone calls and text messages from women that I knew in uh, the legal system in Afghanistan. A woman judge here had been, uh, um, after the murder of the two um, other Supreme Court judges, um, Fozia, who was on the Supreme Court, um, um, the British Foreign Office had put her in touch with a judge here in Britain who became Fozia's sort of 
a mentor, a sort of a friend, an external friend um, to whom she could speak from time to time. And, uh, and that woman judge um, contacted me to tell me about Fosia and the fact that she was in desperate danger, mortal danger, and was going to be killed. A kill list was created by the Taliban and the women judges were on that kill list. Um, and so um, we started to think about how we could try and get them out. And, um, and well, I'm going to try and cut this story short, but we will go back to it after you've heard from Fozia. But I, tr- I looked to see how it could be done. Fozia was trying to get out even before the final day, the, the last day of August, when um, the military all evacuated in their planes. She was trying to get to the airport and I contacted the foreign office here um, to see if, uh, if we could do something about getting her onto one of those planes. And, uh, and indeed she did get a, a, a message from the foreign office, but you remember that bombs went off in the airport. And so um, uh, she wasn't able to get to the airport with her family in time to get to any plane. Um, because the bombs went off and no one was being allowed to travel into the airport um, vicinity. So Fozia went into hiding, and she'll tell you about it. But um, it was a a shocking and shocking thing because she and many other women judges were in the same situation. They were in terror for their lives. And uh, I want you to know that since, since all of this has happened, many women have disappeared. We don't know where they are where we fear for, for whether they are still alive. Um, we know that people have gone into hiding, so it's very hard to document exactly um, the position of some of the women judges who remain there. Um, in the end, I managed to evacuate 103 uh, judges and their families, so over 500 people. It was only possible because um, I, uh, I tried to find out how people were getting out. And some people were managing to sort of trickle over the border into Pakistan, into Uzbekistan, into other countries. And, um, um, but only ones and twos and only those who didn't have four children as Fozia had. Um, uh, and so the, 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 it was possible for a single person to, 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 to make that journey to the, to the borders. And so um, I heard that some Christian um, uh, um, small communities of Christians in Afghanistan were being evacuated by um, Christian communities in the United States of America. And so one of the, I had a, I have a wonderful group of uh, uh, lawyers who work with me at the Institute of Human Rights that I direct for the International Bar Association. And we all went to work on this. Of how can we see if we can get um, these, some of these women out? And um, we contacted the, those who were evacuating the Christian communities to see if there was any room at the back of their planes. And, uh, and there, there wasn't, um, but they did give us the details of the charter companies that they were using and planning to use to get, to get um, the, the Christian evacuees out. And so um, we got the details of those um, charter companies. And, uh, and then I contacted them and to the shock of my life, it was going to cost $750,000 for a, a not very large plane, a plane that would take about 150 people. And, um, um, and so, and of course, we didn't have anything, any money like that. And so we started the business where I started contacting people and begging and, uh, and trying to raise the money. 
And, uh, and I have to say that um, I was helped by the most incredible, generous people. And I'll tell you a bit about that later. But um, I ended up, we ended up having, getting three planes together. One of them went out uh, at the end of September, a month, a month after the big military evacuation. We took a plane out and Fozzie was on that plane with her husband and her four girls. And, uh, and it was a plane where we had 26 judges and their families. Um, and we, uh, I, we'd had to find somewhere where they could land. And um, I'm afraid that the UK was not offering that option. Um, but we knew that the president of, uh, of uh, Greece was a woman who'd been a judge. And through a contact, we got through to her and, uh, and she made intercession for us with the prime minister of Greece and uh, he agreed to this uh, first plane coming. And that was how Fozia ended up traveling. We got, took that plane. We couldn't, we intended flying over Iran, but Iran refused to let us go through their airspace. I became like a travel um, uh, agent who had to understand about flight paths and so on. We ended up taking, no, no European country was letting a, a plane um, from Afghanistan arrive. Uh, land. So we went to, uh, we took the, the, the group of um, women and their families to um, uh, Tbilisi in Georgia, um, one of the, the former Soviet countries, but um, uh, an independent country now. They let us land there. We changed planes and we took the, the then at a plane, uh, which transferred um, the families to, to Greece, to Athens. And, uh, and Fozia was on that first plane. And then we, um, I, I, I went round and we managed to get some more money. And uh, I want you all to know that it was, it was about the solidarity of women because it was so often women who came forward with money or who spoke to their men folk and said, we have to help these women. Um, great philanthropist from Canada, a husband and wife, um, and uh, uh, the wife, was, was wonderful. J.K. Rowling gave me a huge sum of money when, uh, to help um, find accommod accommodation in Athens for, for the escaping judges and lawyers. Um, the, uh, um, uh, uh, anyway, I, will, I, I can only say to you that so much of this became possible because of the solidarity of women around the world who really wanted to help these women who were so courageous and who were trying to build uh, safe havens for women within the law in Afghanistan. Now I'm gonna take it over to you, Fozia, so that you can tell your side of the story and, uh, and about your career in the law in Afghanistan, about your family and about that terrible, terrible time when you had to go into hiding, when you were in a safe and safe accommodation that we found for you and then the transfer through the night to the airport up in the north of Afghanistan and that frightening business of getting the plane to escape. Yeah. Fozia. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Baroness. Thank you so much. Hello to all the friends and professional present, especially Miss Baroness Helena Kennedy, uh, Miss Alsha, and Mrs. B. Uh, Rollett and uh, uh, my, uh, my all of uh, friends. Thank you so much. I am Judge Fazia Hamini, the head of Appeal Court of Violence Against Women 
in Kobil province. I would like to begin by thanking to uh, organize especially also the government of the uh, and the UK Awoja. The work they like to save has women's rights activists, lawyers, and truly great people of our country. We were brought, have brought uh, to this beautiful and safe country, and we were called for from death and suffering. It's truly unforgettable for us. And I will, I work, I investigate more, investigate hundreds of cases of violence against women. In I E in issue and decision, I have proposed for the uh, Violence Against Women Act, the Family Act, the Child Custody Act, and the Shelter Regulation. I have worked on all the con uh, convention to which, uh, to which Afghanistan is committed, both in the Ministry of Women Affairs and during my turner in the Supreme Court of the Islamic of Republic of Afghanistan. I have reviewed the cases of judges who have committed violence. I have been the Supreme Representative of the Supreme Court in the Supreme Council of Women of my country, and I have done the most for judges and women. I have the history of my coming to the previous meeting, and I want to tell you today about the pain and problems of the women and the children of our country that have happened uh, recently, today. Today, everyone knows that Afghanistan has become a secretary being do not matter there. The Taliban do not allow women, especially educated work at all. They are not allowed to travel. Girls' school have been closed again, and the hopes of all young girls, they do not have the hope of a progress. They suffer right. They are also educated, but today they have done a no duty and have been fired from their job. They have often been forced to leave their homes, have been into relatives' house. They have no clothes or food to eat. Their bank accounts have been illegal house to house raids are ongoing. Women are killed in different ways. My friends say that in front of the we say behind it or we do not they are. 
and other jobs completely gone. In the process, our judges are all in a state of panic. We had our clothes. We are so stingy that we could not recognize each other. And we only thought about saving our lives to see if I or my daughter will survive or not. We have no thing. I want to have many times the IB transferred has really well from provinces to Greece and after a temporary a temporary there we were transferred here. The transfer process was very difficult, but the result very excellent and family saviors and uh, we thanking and appreciating um, friends, especially Ms. Arunis Kelly to help us Thank you so much, Ms. Madanis. Thank you. Fozia, I, I do hope people could hear you because um, sometimes uh, um, you cut out a little and um, um, and sometimes the sound was quite quite slow, but uh, quite, quite low. But um, um, I, I want, I'm sure that people heard because uh, the wonderful interpreter has given us the opportunity of having what you said come up in print on the bottom of the screen. Um, I want everyone to know that Fozia um, and her family were their home uh, was was likely to be attacked, and they knew that. And so, one of the things that we had to do was to find a way of um, finding a safe house. And uh, and we can't talk about yet about how that was done. Um, but basically, it was about finding a place in which we could take many of those uh, judges and, and, and provide them with some security. And we were helped on the ground by people that we can't name um, who provided some security. Uh, one of the things was that we couldn't leave from Kabul um, airport because um, it, was, it was just not operating as an airport and air traffic control were not working there. But um, the, the place that we left from um, was up in the very northern part of Afghanistan and um, uh, in a different province. And uh, uh, it was um, a, a journey of, a, of eight hours. It was like you know, going from here up to Edinburgh or somewhere. And so um, it was a long journey with many um, um, uh, um, road blocks at different places, which the Taliban were manning. And we were um, very anxious about um, people um, being seen and found. And sometimes the women had to wear burqas and cover themselves in case they would be identified. Um, and, um, and we had to make sure that we didn't, um, they didn't travel. We were given advice um, um, that it was best not to travel in convoy. Um, so as that would be likely to alert. Um, uh, people to to the fact that there was some kind of evacuation taking place. And so we had to split the women up and then find accommodation up in Mazar al-Sharif, which was the, the place where the northern airport was. And, um, and we got there and the women were there for a couple of nights. 
the, the terrible thing that I had to make a decision about was that um, not, not everybody in Afghanistan has a passport. Um, and in fact, um, not many at all. And so in the first instance, we, we decided that we would, for the first flight, because we didn't know just how tight um, the rules would be at the airport, was to put people on the first flight who did have, have passports. And fortunately, Fozia had a passport suited to her husband, and um, and we got got Fozia and her family onto the flight with the passports. That that flight um, was such a painful experience for me because I was full of anxiety and stress about um, what would happen and whether we would get the flight to, to be able to even leave, or whether it might be blocked by the Taliban, and. Um, um, I, I do think that at that time, um, the Taliban were still um, wanting to try to show to the West that they weren't um, uh, preventing people who wanted to leave from leaving. And um, um, it was difficult to know. We just couldn't be sure. And um, uh, the person who was running the, the Mazar al-Sharif airport was not a Taliban person himself, but was very much fearful of, of, of the Taliban. And, um, and so he was going by the rules very strictly. And on the morning that the flight was due to leave at about six, I didn't sleep at all that night well. I was tossing and turning all night. And then in the morning, um, at six o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call. And um, I don't know what time it was there, but um, uh, the flight, uh, I, I was told that um, the husband of one of the, my women uh, his passport was not up to date and, uh, and that they were not going to let him through. And I had a conversation with the woman judge uh, to say, look, why don't you get on the plane and take your children? And I promise you, I'll do all my, my very best to try and get your husband to join you. Reunification of families, um, uh, uniting families is part of the UN policy around refugees. And all, you know, our country should adhere to that. Um, but of course, it's you know, um, it's not straightforward. And, uh, and the woman then said to me, um, please um, guarantee me that you'll, you have to give me a guarantee that you'll get my husband out. And I couldn't give her that guarantee because I know what the, our, I know what our immigration system's like. And I know, I've, I know from my colleagues who do immigration work, how hard sometimes it is to uni reunify families. And so I, um, I said, I, I can't guarantee you, but I, but I promise you I'll do everything I can. And she started to cry and said, if you can't guarantee me, I'd, and I had to stand her down. Uh, she and her children and her husband. And it was heartbreaking. And she wept. And so then did the other women around her began crying because their friend couldn't come on the flight and wasn't able to escape with them. And I had to say that when I put the receiver down, I cried too. I, 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 anyway, so the, the flight went with, without her and her husband. I am happy to say that at a later stage, we got her on a late, them all on a later flight because we managed to persuade the airport to allow people to get on the flight with um, identity cards because by that time it was impossible to renew passports or acquire passports or anything of that sort. And, um, and, uh, and so for the, for the late, later two flights that we did a month later, um, uh, it was possible to get people on who just using their identity cards. But in the meantime, I'd had to fly out to Athens to see the immigration minister because I, that Greece had not wanted to take any more um, uh, flights. 
Um, they already have a refugee problem of their own. You know, they've had, they, they took in so many people uh, landed on their shores from Syria and they're in the islands like Lesbos and so on where the camps are. And so they, they were not keen to have more, more people um, coming. And I flew out and saw the immigration minister and persuaded him to, um, uh, to let some more uh, flights arrive so long as um, I raised the money to pay for hostels and, uh, and uh, food and so on and the needs of, um, of the families. And, um, and he agreed to that. But it put, of course, an incredible burden on us trying to raise money. And let me tell you the, the big disappointment for me. The big disappointment for me was that I thought the world, the world would open its arms to these brilliant, amazing, courageous women. And it didn't. And countries did let, let, let us down. Our own country has only taken a very small number, nine. Is, Fozia, how many judges, how many Afghani judges are in Britain now? We, Do you we are 13 judges, uh, Ms. Baroness, 13 judges. 13. Um, um, I, um, yeah, 13. But I, but, and that took us some time. It, um, I, 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 I had to phone up. I phoned up all my friends around the world. I phoned up Mary McAleese, who was, a, was the president of Ireland, who was a lawyer and who I studied at the same sort of time as me, but in a different university. And she, I said to her, Mary, you have to help me. And, uh, and she got Ireland to take in 20 families. Um, I phoned up um, my friend Sandy Toxvig, who's the, you know, appears on television and so on. She had once introduced me to a friend of hers who was the prime minister of, of Iceland. And we got through to her and she, they, 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 and Iceland's a tiny wee place, very small population. They took in a couple of families. I mean, that was, a couple of families can mean 12 people, you know, or, but they took in. Um, and we, 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 I was hammering the phones and it was women around the world that I contacted. Women in Australia, we got Australia to take in 20. And then through a, 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 a whole, a, a saga that is too long, um, Canada came in and really took the lion's share of the women, and it was wonderful. I was helped. Um, paying for these flights was 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 a real uh, a problem, and um, because it meant that I had to, you know, if it was seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds per flight, you can uh, you can tell that um, I I did three flights, so that meant that we had to we and for the safe houses and security and so on, and then paying the food and so on. I think we raised something like three million. Had to raise three million pounds. And it was a long, hard, old slog doing it. But we owe it to our sisters who are facing these terrible events. And, uh, and it saddens my heart that there are still women in Afghanistan, women who are um, in hiding. And I received text messages from them, and not just women, of course, men too. And of course, the, 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 I do want to say something about the, about the men, because... We know about the bad guys, but there are also wonderful men. I mean, Fozia's husband is a really wonderful man. And, uh, and, and many of these women, I mean, these, these are women who, who were married to the kind of men who were happy for them to be being judges and lawyers and uh, MPs and so on. So, and they were all themselves often lawyers and judges too. Fozia's husband was a very uh, wonderful prosecutor who did took these hard cases as well. 
Um, and uh, and so, you know, with all these women, there were also very fine, good men um, came out with them because they wanted to protect their women folk. And um, but of course, now Afghanistan is no longer in the news. And we're not hearing about the horrors that are taking place and about the starvation and the poverty and the fact that there's no food and that people who are in hiding can't access food. It's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible um, indictment of the international community that we have failed so badly. And then, of course, we're now dealing with the horrors of Ukraine and, uh, and the fleeing women and children there. So... Um, our world is going through a really um, uh, dark time. And I, and I regret to say that I think it will continue to be dark for some time because we've got so many uh, populist authoritarian governments who um, uh, look for people to blame. And so they blame foreigners and they blame immigrants and they blame anybody who's different um, for the ills, usually which are, have been caused by the greed and, uh, and the... Uh, and the kind of self-enrichment of those who are powerful. Um, and so, um, and of course, we're also facing climate change. So we will see the displacement and movement of people in increasing numbers into, into the future. And it's a moment where we're going to have to think about um, how we redesign our world. The United Nations does not seem to be working very well because you've got five nations in the Security Council who can, who can blight um, positive things being done, where, you know, um, war crimes have been committed in Ukra Ukraine and it's impossible. I'm now working around the war crimes that are happening in Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia will exercise its veto. And so the, the, it will be impossible to get them before the International Court of Justice. And so we, we really... What we need are new structures. What we need is greater, a greater sharing of the world's resources and, and we're not doing that. And so um, what, what, what we've been describing and Fozzie's experience is a tragedy that a, a democracy that was developing has been cut off in its prime. And, uh, uh, um, and it's people like Fozia who are still um, uh, trying to give hope and faith to people that it will change, that it will not always be so. Um, but it, but it is it, we're we're living in a in a dark moment, and it's going to mean all the good people of our world have to come together and be heard, and uh, and 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 call for justice. We have to have justice, uh, and ju a real kind of justice. So um, it may be a good moment for us to think about having some questions. Um, Alpa. Hi. I'm interrupting this event to tell you about another awesome LSE podcast that we think you'd enjoy. LSE IQ asks social scientists and other experts to answer one intelligent question, like why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Or can we afford the super rich? Come check us out. Just search for LSE IQ wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the event. I mean, that was just just so moving and so extraordinary. And I really, really thank both of you uh, yeah, from the bottom of my heart for sharing this amazing story. And yes, you are so right, Baroness Kennedy. It is a dark, dark time and it's only getting darker and darker. 
but you have given us so much hope uh, in the kind of solidarity you have created, generated um, through this particular story of um, the relationship between you and Fosia, which is telling a much bigger story of the possibilities for international solidarity and also solidarity between women. And it is just, you know, wonderful, wonderful to have you here. And we're so privileged to 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 um, yeah to be speaking with you right now, and I invite questions um, from the floor. Please um, yeah put your questions in the chat, and 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 we will we will we will call them up. Um, so, but I really really want to thank both of you, um, Baroness Kennedy and Fozia Amini, for being here with us today and 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 sharing this story. Yeah, but I I do want you to know that. Um... I've learned so much from Fozia because um, Fozia and the other, the other judges, um, you, you know, spending time with them and seeing, it's hard for people to understand what exile is like, that to flee and to be in a new place. And um, Fozia expresses her gratitude and so on to Britain for, um, you know, opening its doors to her and to her family. Um, but, you know, it, it, she still doesn't have a proper home. She's still living in a hotel in Earl's Court. Um, yes, her girls are going to school, which is so wonderful. And they're the most wonderful young women. They're aged between sort of 17 and uh, I think 12, I think the youngest one might be, or 10. Um, and they're really, really lovely, lovely girls who will make a huge contribution to this country. Um, but it's so hard for Fozia, who would like to have the opportunity of perhaps retraining um, and, uh, and yet has had to leave everything behind. And her bank accounts and her savings were, were frozen and by the Taliban. And so she has come with, with nothing. Um, and you know, and she has faced this hardship with such, with such courage and such strength of character, such strength of will. Thank you, Ms. Burns. Thank you. We lose our hope now because our our country not have uh, anything. Everyone lose their rights, their fundamental rights, especially the women, the children. They not have education now, they not have food, they not have jobs. I'm very worried about our people or our country now. But so, I'm very happy now. You've just muted yourself. Thanks. Yeah, that, yes. yeah, thanks. Yes. And also, I'm very happy and I'm ha very lucky uh, to be here and save my children. In, but I'm very worried our women, especially the women judges, to remain uh, in our country. And, uh, no jobs, no food, no clothes, no places to leave people. It's very difficult for us, for our people. Our situation running very bad today. It's, I'm very lucky to stay here now. Well, we're I'm lucky. Very lucky. We're lucky yeah. to have you here with us, Fozia, mm -hmm. because thank you, uh, I, 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 
contribution you will make. But, um, you know, um, I'll, I'll, every so often my phone will ping and I'll, I'll see that a message has come through to me and it will be a plea for help. And I've now learned how to do this, you know, to, to charter a plane. I, um, I know that there will be people who would help to do that. But I couldn't go through the thing again of, of trying to get countries to take, yes. to take people when the, there was, it was so hard this first time round. And we, we managed to evacuate 103 judges. That meant over 500 people altogether because, yeah. because these are women who are families. They were young women. You know, Fozzie yeah. is not an old woman. She's not, you know, our Supreme Court judges are usually women who are in their 60s at least. Well, you know, Fozzie is nothing like that. And, okay. uh, and the women who were judges would be often in their 30s because it was a professional judiciary. You could qualify as, a, as in law and then would become, do the additional training and become a judge when you were in your late 20s. And, and then there were the prosecutors mm -hmm. and so on. They were all young and had children and young children. And we had, in fact, we had delivered several mm -hmm. babies yeah. in, in, in Athens um, because women were yeah. got out while they were pregnant. And so... Um, uh, the, 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 you will all um, enrich our country. Uh, I have absolutely no doubt about that. But, uh, but I, I, uh, and I would like to be able to help some of the women who are still there, desperate to flee. Um, but it would have to be that Britain said that they would take another 20 uh, judges and, and their families and that they would let a flight land at Stansted and give visas to those um, women before they came. And unfortunately, there's no system for doing that. Whatever they tell us, there's no system for Afghanis to get visas in advance. Um, I have a few questions uh, that have come in, uh, which I would like to pose to pose to you. Um, but I guess before we do that, I had a question of my own, you know, and which was, um, uh, you, you know, we have this like extreme case of what's happened in Afghanistan. But as you said, Baroness Kennedy, we've seen we're seeing the rise of these authoritarian regimes, you know, all over the world. And um, you know, I work on India, and um, uh, and and I'm working very closely with human rights lawyers who have been put in prison. Uh, you know, these are the people who have been working, spent, devoted all of their lives, sacrificed everything to work for for nothing for um, previously untouchable communities, for labor rights, for uh, indigenous communities, and of course, there's a reason they're being targeted. You know, and 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 um, so. Uh, so, you know, I'm constantly faced with this question of what can we do in relation to international solidarity for all of those people like Fazia who are, who, mm. you know, and other people in India and other places, Turkey, I'm thinking, who are on the front lines, you know, of law, trying to fight all the difficult cases, uh, keeping open the spaces of democracy in their countries. Like what, what, what mechanisms can we have right now? What can we do internationally? Um, and what, you know, what are you, obviously you've given a lot of thought to these issues and you cannot chart the next flight. You can't, you can't do this all over again, as you said. What can we put in place? Um, it would be great to hear something from you about that. But um, yeah, there are a few other questions uh, as well. Yeah. Alpa, one of the things I feel that we should be campaigning for in this country is, for, um, is to do what Canada has done. Canada does have um, special uh, visas, emergency visas 
for human rights activists who are at risk. And we should have emergency visas for human rights activists who are at risk. And I would consider women judges who are dealing with courts where they're dealing with violence against women and so on in a situation such as Fozia was and the situation that Fozia and her colleagues were in, they were human rights activists at risk. Um, but they're often, I mean, for example, in, uh, in India, we just recently, I was contacted by that, um, uh, the woman journalist who um, is a Muslim woman journalist who's speaking Rana. out about, uh, what, yes, what Rana. Rana you, yes. And, uh, and, and, you know, we should have um, emergency human rights uh, uh, visas for human rights activists, um, for journalists, for, for, for the lawyers, for, the, for the, NGO, the people who run NGOs and who speak out, who suddenly have a price on their head. And we ought to be able to say, we have a human rights, get them on a plane and they'll be admitted into Britain. But we don't have that. And um, yes, of course, there's powers in the Home Secretary to let somebody in. I raised this recently with a minister and they said, but the, there is a power vested in the Home Secretary to admit people. Um, yeah, but I mean, um, um, I'd like something a bit um, um, more guaranteeing than the goodwill of Priti Patel, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's brilliant. And in fact, set the several questions along the same line. So, uh, excuse me, but I will. I, um, you know, we uh, we will have addressed some of those. But let me um, turn to a question for uh, Fazia Amini. Could you give us some details? Asks Jana Gurf uh, about the um, about some of the work that were, you were doing in Afghani courts. What sorts of cases did you take up? What were the outcomes, and how did the system work? Um, she asks, uh, and I guess it would be great also to hear from you about what you think you can do now from here uh, in relation to the colleagues and friends you left behind and you know who are also doing or trying to do continuing to do good work on the on the ground yeah Fozia or um, maybe if you you know just take whatever you'd like off of that to to answer yes yes please uh, I I had uh, my work uh, in our courts, uh, uh, especially uh, the cases uh, I worked, uh, the mother, uh, the mother cases, the um, uh, marriage, forced marriage, or uh, um, uh, maybe um, another violence uh, who have uh, had uh, there uh, very much. But uh, now I had a good relationship with my uh, another colleagues who is the, who remained in Afghanistan and also uh, some uh, families or judges in Greece. I have um, always I uh, answer their question and always uh, we should talk about the uh, travel or maybe um, uh, our works, our experience. Uh, so sometimes, and I'm also worried about the, all of uh, our women judges on our peoples because uh, they are remind there, they are have very uh, more duties there. It's important they are uh, don't have uh, fundamental rights uh, because they cannot work uh, in outside uh, for the women, for the children. It's, it's so hard and so difficult for. Uh, our women judges uh, or uh, our fa their families problems it's, it's very big and it's very big to uh, to hear uh, problems uh, of the children 
it's very difficult. I think maybe maybe Fozia's um, um, connectivity has frozen. Mm. Um, you have to understand that Fozia is in a hotel in Earl's Court, which is not, um, I'm afraid it's not very well equipped. For, um, um, uh, and um, the Wi-Fi is pretty questionable at times. So um, I, I, I'm afraid it looks as if she's... She's frozen, not. isn't she? Don't, yeah. Well, if she comes back on, we can turn back to her. But So there's a question from Lisa Gormley, um, who's a visiting fellow at the LSE Centre for Women, uh, Peace and Security here. At the, um, and she's saying she's really very, very moved and inspired for, the, for a call for a new system to protect human rights and justice. And, and she's asking about what other actions, you know, as well as special visas for lawyers, judges and journalists, what else needs to happen for change on a, on a bigger scale? You know, um, there are so many of these areas where I, I want to see change. Um, I mean, one of the things that we, we you know, we, we're, we have to recognize is that um, the, the levels of violence against women are, are, are not decreasing. Um, I, I know that Steven Pinker, the great uh, Harvard professor, insists that the world is becoming a less violent place. And it may be true in some regards, but, but I don't know that it's, it's that true for women. Um, sexual violence in conflict is one of the areas that I now work on. And, uh, and a task force has been created, created in, in relation to Ukraine because there's testimonies coming forward of, uh, of rapes of women by um, Russian, uh, Russian soldiers on the ground. I mean, hor hor horrible testimonies. Um, and, uh, and I've done work on this in different places and, and places where there's been genocide where um, the suffering of women has often in the, in the histories of war and conflict not been properly told. And the ways in which um, uh, when you're trying to punish a people, um, that women are often, are often the vector for doing that um, by disgracing, humiliating, um, uh, violating and, and possibly even impregnating uh, the women folk of, of, of a people. And, um, and we Having that, 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 that is now sort of, if you like, on the agenda. But of course, um, uh, we have to be protective of making sure that the women are, are in, in securing their evidence, that we don't over and over again re-traumatize them about, about what they've experienced. And so, I, again, I feel that we've, done, we've got to be calling for um, better um, a, um, ways of, um, of conducting investigations into the experiences of women in conflict. There are other things I feel that we ought to be doing. Women have to be at the tables of peace and at the tables where we're discussing how we reach an end to some of these things. And, um, and I do think, I do think that the, the UN has run out of steam. It was created um, at the end of the Second World War where people wanted change. And it seems to me almost as if there has to be a, a very dark moment before the will to make change is possible. I'm fearful that by, if we call for a, a new United Nations to be created, a new, you know, because it started off with the League of Nations after the First World War, then there was the United Nations after the Second World War. Um, if we were to call for some kind of reconstruction at this moment, Unfortunately, the world is full of so many authoritarians. We would, we might see our rights being reduced rather than improved. And so, um, 
I, I, I have anxieties about calling for substantial change at this moment. Yeah. But I, so I think that we have to keep on keeping on. Mm. And it may be that we do, do certain things outside of the remit of the UN. I mean, I think that um, we should be calling for more uh, often for tribunals that are not inside the frameworks that mm. have already been created, but for new frameworks and tribunals to, to, to deal with, um, particularly the experiences of women and the, vi- the violence that women experience. I also want to see, and, I'm, and, I, and I say this clearly, I want to look at the business of universal jurisdiction. I want to see expanded. I did a case recently where a woman had been raped by a very powerful man in a government, uh, in, 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 a, in a particular government. And, uh, and it was not possible uh, to have him prosecuted in the United Kingdom for the, for the sexual violation that he, can, that he perpetrated. And, um, and his own country wouldn't do it because they're too afraid of him. So the idea that, the, that justice could be secured became, you know, it was just impossible. And I think that there should be for murder and rape, there should be universal jurisdiction where it's possible to prosecute somebody somewhere else. If that person is a person who holds office and is a person of great power. Mm. And, uh, and I think we should be calling, we as women should be calling for um, better ways of securing justice in, in, on many different fronts. So um, that's what I'm doing in my, as my, I'm in my final chapters, if you like, um, as a lawyer, because um, you know my many years of doing it, and I, I want change now. I feel that you know just scraping at the edges is not good enough. It has to be fundamental. And I just recently did a report on misogyny for the Scottish government, and it really is calling for quite radical change and law that is law for women. Um, recognizing that women can be targeted for certain kinds of crime, and that we have to do something about it. Mm. Thank you. And maybe I will give the last word to Fozia Amini. Um, what, what, there are a lot of questions. I'm sorry we have not been able to ask um, because of the short time we have for Q&A. But um, Fozia Amini, what about your hopes for change and what, what would you like to see immediately you know, happen? And what, what, yeah, what, 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 um, what, from your experiences, what do you recommend in relation to the rec- international community right now? Uh, my wishes about uh, my country and uh, about uh, our professional lives. We want to have begun our democracy or our uh, fundamental rights, um, especially for the women's rights, it's, it's, I think it's uh, very vicious for, um, for our lives, for our uh, country, uh, because uh, our people lose everything now. And, uh, and we, uh, we hope that we have at the future all of our rights begun. Thank you. Alpa, can I just say uh, as a final, a coda, a sort of postscript to what Fozzie has just said. Um, of course, we have to be calling for uh, the rights of women in Afghanistan. And we have to be calling for uh, women to, have, to be, uh, have access to education. It goes all the way back to Mary Wollstonecraft and to Bee's uh, introduction, where she spoke about how 
the, the, the thing that really was the engine that Mary Wollstonecraft identified for change, for women to, be, to, to, to become um, equal people, was that they had to be educated. And we really have to be saying that the Taliban's idea that somehow girls and women should not receive an education is so wrong. And even if we could secure that from them, if we could extract that from them, um, then the women themselves who are educated will then be uh, insisting upon um, opportunities uh, beyond uh, staying in the domestic environment. They will want to play their part in the creation of a better society. Thank you. Thank you so much and for bringing us back to Mary Wollstonecraft at the end. And I thank both of you, Baroness Kennedy. Thank you, Fazia Amini, and the wonderful B. Rowlett and the Wollstonecraft Society for hosting this um, lecture. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to the audience for, for coming today. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the LSE Events Podcast on your favourite podcast app and help other listeners discover us by leaving a review. Visit lse.ac.uk forward slash events to find out what's on next. We hope you join us at another LSE event soon.